Today we're continuing our series called Different and we're looking at the first letter of Peter in the New Testament. Let's just remind ourselves of the context of it. Peter uh, wrote this, he was probably in Rome, it was about AD 63, he was getting towards the end of his life and he was writing it to Christians who were based in what's now called Turkey. But it was the first century and not the 21st century. And that's important for us as we look at this passage. Although the, the epistle was written for us, it's not addressed to us. It's addressed to people in a different time and in a different culture. So we'll remember that context as we look at it. But I also want to look at it in the wider context of the whole Bible. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, we discover a promise that God made to Abraham. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the key bit. All people on earth will be blessed through Abraham's family. And we read elsewhere in the New Testament that we as Christians are part of Abraham's family. In chapter two of Peter's letter, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. That's us, we're the people of God. And the promise that God made to Abraham that all people on earth will be blessed through him applies to us. But in the first century in Turkey, there were just small groups of, small local groups of Christians. They had little influence. They were looked down on by their neighbors. They were persecuted. Possibly they were feared because they were different. Whereas now we're in the 21st century in the UK. Going to church, going to the Christian church is respectable. We have bishops in the House of Lords creating legislation. We have freedom of religion protected by laws. But what Peter tells us to do in chapter two is to live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's aim in writing to the Christians in the first century and our aim as we study the book 2,000 years later is not that we would just be better at being Christians, it would that be that we could bless people. As a church we're studying this book, Scattered Servants, and in it there's a quote. It says, the dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. That's the context of what we're looking at today and the advice that Peter gives us on living the Christian life. So the context is so important. I was struck a couple of weeks ago when Vicky was speaking on the passage in this letter on the treatment of women. Peter wrote it because he wanted, he had a very high view of women and their role in society in the church. But if it's read out of context, then, then Christians have actually used it to, to come up with the opposite message and oppress women. Context is so important. So as we think about that, let's look at today's passage. It's chapter four, and we'll look at the first six verses to start with. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past 
doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So the first point that comes through there is about suffering. And if you read the whole of this letter, 1 Peter, you'll realise that suffering is a theme that runs throughout it all. And next week, it's going to be the main theme of, of the teaching. So I'm going to skim over it few here, but I wanted to pick out a few points. In the 21st century, in the UK, we generally don't suffer for being Christians. In other places in the world, in dozens of countries around the world, Christians suffer for their faith. And in the UK, in other centuries, Christians have suffered in the UK for their faith. But we don't suffer a great deal. But we read in 1 Peter, uh, a few weeks ago, Maria was teaching about how, uh, in chapter 1, suffering refines our faith. It purifies it. It makes it stronger. And in chapter 2, we learnt that Jesus left us an example in his suffering that, so that we could follow in his steps. And here in chapter 4, it kind of picks up on chapter 2 because it encourages us to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Jesus. He suffered, but he understood why he was suffering. He, he understood it was for our benefit. And as we suffer, we can pick up that attitude as if it were armour, as if it's going to protect us and equip us for the life we live. And then there's this phrase, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I said it twice because it's quite hard to understand. In fact, lots of people have really struggled to understand it. What, what, what's Peter saying here? He's not saying that if you've suffered in the body somehow that you do no longer sin. I heard about uh, a couple of Christians who were discussing this and one of them was convinced that he'd suffered so much that he had given up sinning. So the other one poured his cup of tea into his lap and that proved that he wasn't actually done with sin in terms of misbehaviour, sin with a lower case S. Now I think what, what I understand this passage is about is once you suffer for being a Christian, it forces you to decide Am I interested in following Jesus or do I want an easy life? When I was 13, I was confirmed in the Church of England and I boldly said these statements. I turn to Christ. I repent of my sins. I renounce evil. And when I said it, I believed it. But it was afterwards when I'd left that confirmation service and when I was in school with my mates, that's when the decision was proved. Or was it just in my mind that I said it? Or was I prepared to actually act differently and be prepared to, to, to suffer uh, and be teased or, or whatever for my faith? The, the decision to suffer and accept suffering proves that we have dealt with sin with a capital S. And sin with a capital S is about not putting God first. It's, it's what the Bible calls idolatry.
So let's continue to, to read the passage. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this passage tells us to love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And here we're not talking about sin with a capital S, the big sin of idolatry of not putting God first. Here we're talking about the little things that we do that hurt each other or, or the careless words that we say that, that wound. In a family where you know that you're loved, where you've invested time uh, and love, allowances are made. And so that's what it means to cover over sins, that we ignore the little hurts that we all do to each other. And what it's saying is that in the church, we need to love each other in the same way. We need to love each other as families. And that's a challenge because we spend time with our families and we know we love our families, but there are people in our church who have no family to love them. And we know we can read in the papers about an epidemic of loneliness. So I just wonder within our church, are there people who are lonely? Are there people that we need to love? Is God talking to you as you think about the people around you in church? Are there people that we need to extend that love to? And then Peter goes on to a few practical examples to show what love might look like in practice. He says, offer hospitality. Now, hospitality is just one of my favorite biblical concepts. In Hebrews, it says some people through offering hospitality have entertained angels unaware. Or there's a story in the end, at the end of Luke's gospel of Cleopas and his friend who, who invited Jesus to come and stay in their house for a meal. And as they had that meal, they, they saw who Jesus was. Or Abraham in Genesis, he entertained three strangers and because he invited them for a meal, he received a blessing. Hospitality is so close to the heart of God. It could be offering meals, cups of coffee to people, but it could be so much more. A few years ago, Andrea and I noticed a girl in the, the church that we were at at that time who had a black eye and as we asked what had happened, we realized that she was in an abusive relationship and felt trapped because she didn't have the money to escape. So we, after thinking about it, praying about it, we offered her the opportunity to stay in our home. Uh, and uh, she, she took that opportunity and it was an opportunity to break from that relationship. And it was the absolute making of her. For us, it was a minor inconvenience, if you like, it was it didn't cost us a lot but for her it was absolutely life transforming and she became a Christian and her life is now going forward with Jesus and she's happy and fulfilled or Andrea and I also foster and we know a lot of foster carers and we are always struck by the huge impact 
that fostering makes on the lives of young people who started badly. And there are lots of opportunities if you want to offer hospitality. The UK has lots of unaccompanied asylum-seeking children who need homes. There are lots of teenagers in care who are just desperate for a loving home. And I would just encourage you, fostering is such a blessing to, to Andrew and I, and, and I would just encourage you, if you have the opportunity to think, could it be something you could do? Peter says offer hospitality without grumbling. I would love to know what lies behind that. Peter probably stayed in lots of people's homes and was recipient of lots of hospitality and I just wonder if he had an episode in mind where maybe he heard the wife in the kitchen grumbling and it was uncomfortable for him, who knows. Anyway, Peter goes on from hospitality to other ways of showing love. He, he, he talks particularly about speaking and serving, but then he says use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The Bible has this beautiful picture of the church as a body made up of lots of different unique parts. And each part, each individual, we have a unique set of gifts. You have a unique set of gifts. And the instruction that Peter gives us here is clear and unambiguous. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve others. God's given us these gifts because he's a giver. He is he's full of grace and we are now stewards of that grace. So we have an obligation to use them. In the book Scattered Servants that I mentioned earlier, I just want to read another passage. It says, God has entrusted you with an assignment to lead the earth into life. The dream of God over your life is that you become alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. The dream of God over your life is that not that you become a believer and just help out the local church. It's not just about how we operate in church. It's about our whole life. Remember that passage from Genesis, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Or in 1 Peter earlier it said, the outsiders will see your good deeds and glorify God. The key gifts we have are those which we can use to reach the wider community, to bring them into touch with Jesus. Now if you're a mature Christian you may be thinking about Paul's letters where he talks about spiritual gifts in three different places he lists what he calls spiritual gifts but I just point out Peter's not talking about spiritual gifts he's talking about all gifts and also um, Paul's letter Paul's lists are sometimes misunderstood I, I I searched on Google for spiritual gifts and I found a page that talked about 14 spiritual gifts and another page that talked about the 18 spiritual gifts and another the 20 spiritual gifts but actually there aren't just 20 there are hundreds and hundreds of gifts that we have they're not spiritual gifts they're just gifts and anyway Paul's letter Paul's lists were created in the first century not the 21st century there's nothing in Paul's letter about the gift of being able to produce and publish a YouTube video because that wouldn't have been relevant at the time it was written. 
So in the world of work, uh, we didn't talk about gifts. When I was at work, we would talk about transferable skills. We would talk about what an individual had, the skills, the experience, the knowledge that they had to, to bring to an organisation. And it's the same question in church. What are the skills and experience and knowledge and ability that you have that you can bring to bear in God's kingdom? What are you good at? And how can you use your skills to serve other people? And not just serving in the church, not just filling a rota, but, but blessing the community in which you live. Are you good at chatting? Do you enjoy chatting over a nice cup of tea? Well, there are lots of lonely people in our community who would be blessed if you could get in touch with them and spend time with them. Are you good with technology? I've been amazed over the last year by the number of people who are not naturally technically able, who, who've, who've gone online to Zoom meetings and so on. But there are some people who are missing out because they seem to struggle to engage effectively with, with Zoom calls or turn their microphones on. Perhaps you could offer to help. Are you good at making people feel welcome? Well, our church, we're going to have a, a grand new building with a wonderful reception, but it needs people in there to create a welcoming atmosphere. Do you understand the world of the internet and social media? It's a fact that most people in Chalfont St. Peter and in our neighbourhood use Facebook every day. If we were going to set up a, if we want to meet people where they're at, then as a church we need to be active on Facebook. If you understand how that, that world works, you've got something that you can bring to the church. Are you good at research and writing? Well, you could maybe research what's going on in the world and, and tell the church what's going on. Help us to understand the, the wider world and help us to pray. Oh, do you know lots of people? Are you good at business networking, making contacts for the sake of your business? Well, can you take that skill and apply it to connect people for the sake of the kingdom? Do you have a hobby? Are you creative? Are you an artist or something? Could you teach it to other people? perhaps adults or, or children, because as they come and they spend time with you learning something, not only would they learn an interesting new hobby or skill, but also they're spending time in the presence of God who lives in you. Having a creative hobby is, it, is an opportunity to share an insight into God's creative nature. Are you good with children? Perhaps uh, there are opportunities to, to go into schools, to, to read, uh, with kids or, or to help schools in other ways or, or talk to Chona about how you might be able to get involved with children's ministries. Are you confident in dealing with high-powered, important individuals like politicians or chief executives? Can you make the case for justice in our lawmaking? There are so many opportunities, so many skills in the, in the church, so many opportunities and Peter is saying here Look at the skills we've got, look at the gifts, and then use them to build God's kingdom. And building God's kingdom might be doing work in the church, it might be doing work in our local community, just to bless the community or to connect people in the community with people in the church. Or it might be working in a Christian organisation. 
The other point that I want to draw out is that Peter's letter was not sent to individual Christians. We're used to Bible study being maybe a solitary activity, but it's actually addressed to churches. It's addressed to people in, in plural. If one of you has a musical gift and another is a good organiser and another has a, a gift of hospitality and welcome, then maybe the three of you could get together and organise a concert. If you've got a creative hobby and someone else has lots of contacts with young people, get together and you could organise an event to share your, your passion. And if you need a venue for this, well, well let's add in, we're, we're building a lovely big venue in the heart of the village. Let's think about how we can use that with your gifts to reach the community. Don't wait for the church leadership to ask you to fill a job or a role that they've thought of. Look at your gifting and work out what you can do for, for God, with God. Talk to God about it. Talk to your fellow church members and talk to your church leaders. As I look at this passage as a whole, there's a sense of a ticking clock going on. In verse 3, Peter says you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. As if you've wasted, we've wasted time in the past. And then later it talks about the gospel being preached to those who are now dead. Now, I don't pretend to understand what that verse is about, but it's a reminder that we do not live forever and that people only have their lifetime to respond to the gospel. And in verse 7, he reminds us that the end is near. It's a reminder that Jesus is going to return. There's a clock ticking. None of us live forever. We haven't got endless time. So if you play professional rugby and you commit a serious foul, you get put in the sin bin. You might have to spend 10 minutes as a punishment. And when you're in the sin bin, you're not in the game. You're just wasting time. And as Christians, we don't want to be in the sin bin. We haven't got time to waste. When we're young, we think we're going to live forever, don't we? We think that time is endless. But as we get older, we realise that time is a whole series of, of time-limited stages. In my life, as I look back, I became a Christian at school and I realised I just had one shot at being a Christian in school. Three or four years to show my school friends how being a Christian made a difference to my life. I had one shot of living as a Christian undergraduate at university. I had one shot just a few years living as a single, unattached, working man with few commitments and the ability to spend time working for the Kingdom of God. I had one shot at being the father to my children because they're now adults. My wife and I, we've, we had one shot at being empty nesters and deciding how we were going to spend that time. And last year I retired from work and I realised I have one shot at being an effective retired Christian while I'm still fit and active. And in each of those phases of my life, I had a choice. Am I going to be in the sin bin pursuing what I want to do, wasting my time, watching TV, enjoying myself, or am I going to be in the game, bringing glory to God? But as I talk about the ticking clock, you may be thinking, oh, running out of time, I've got to find my gifts, I've got to do things, I've got to do things, the end is near, panic, panic. But Peter says, don't panic. He says, as you think about the end being near, you need to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So as we start to imagine what life could be like 
when we come out of lockdown, when we enter our, our new church building, as we think about what we can do in God's name as we exercise our gifts, Peter's saying we need to pray. Now I think there is a brilliant book about prayer by Pete Gregg, How to Pray. I read it a, a couple of years ago and it's brilliant. I highly recommend it to you. And I was talking about it at work to a Christian colleague uh, and uh, someone else said to me, well, why do you need a book on how to pray? Surely praying is easy, you just talk to God. Easy, why, you don't need to be taught that. And yes, at one level that's true, but at another level it's so wrong because there are, there are people who pray and there are prayer warriors. There are people who would just shoot a, a prayer up to God as they get in the car in the morning and there are other people who will spend hours and hours in prayer wrestling with situations and finding a breakthrough in prayer. There's another book, a uh, third book I want to mention today called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire that Stephen mentioned a few weeks ago when he was talking. And, and this book shows what the Holy Spirit can do when believers get serious about prayer. Not just rapid prayers, but serious prayers. Like when Jesus, he used to go up a mountain and he would pray all night. Uh, and I've wondered, how can I develop a prayer life like that? I've lost count of the number of times I have resolved to get better at prayer and I resolved to increase my prayer time or to be more serious or more disciplined. But I find it's really hard to keep it up. I hit a block, I run out of things to pray, my mind gets distracted, I can't focus. So I've got a, an analogy that may help. Two years ago I did virtually no exercise but then I decided I was going to start running for an exercise. Last, last week I actually managed to run more than 25 kilometers which is a record for me and this coming October uh, persuade, been persuaded by my son to actually enter a half marathon. So how did I go from being a couch potato to thinking about running a half marathon. And as I thought about how I did that, I wondered if there were lessons I can take from what I did that could actually enhance my prayer life. See, first of all, it wasn't a spur of the moment decision. I'd spent several weeks thinking about the need to exercise more. I wanted to be sure. I didn't want to start something and be unable to see it through. So do we want to improve our prayer life? Is it a settled decision that we want to get better at prayer? So the next thing I did is I chose a program. You may well have heard of Couch to 5K program that's moved thousands of people from uh, sitting on the couch to actually running. I highly recommend it. Uh, and, and in the prayer world, I would recommend this book, How to Pray by Pete Gregg. It's realistic, it's practical. And then with running, I scheduled it in. I talked to my wife, how would I fit in 40 minutes three times a week? We decided how it would fit into the family routine. It's the same with prayer. If you want to be serious about prayer, it needs to be in your calendar, not just fitted around other busy things. I spent money on running. I, I bought running shoes and running shirts and, and Bluetooth earphones. When I was finding it hard, a colleague at work said that in order to motivate him when he ran, he spent money, he would buy a new gadget because having spent the money, it made him feel obliged to go out on that run. And, and maybe you could spend money on prayer, maybe get a special 
prayer notebook to write your prayers in, maybe a new Bible, a special chair, a framed picture that inspires you. And with running, sometimes running's easy and sometimes it's hard. You have good runs and bad runs. It's the same with prayer. Sometimes you pray and you feel so close to God, you just pour your heart out. And other times, praying is hard and you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Well, in running, they have this phrase that even a bad run is good for you. It gets you fitter. And then the other thing, as I took advice, a few weeks ago, I had coffee with Stephen Walker-Williams, our pastor team leader, and he gave me all kinds of advice about running, about what shoes to wear, how to, how to prepare for a half marathon, and so on. I suspect if you asked him for advice on prayer, he would be willing to help you with that too. And then I also read and I get inspiration. At Gold Hill, we, we have daily prayer prompts. They come in every Monday to Friday and they can give you encouragement and ideas for praying. Just this morning, I read on the prayer prompt about the children in kids' church. They pray boldly for those they love, whether human or animal, and bring to God the things that worry them or scare them or lay heavy on their hearts. No caveats in their prayers, no sugarcoating, raw and honest and authentic and real. Let's get inspired by other people who pray. In the world of running, people share their running experiences. They join Strava, they publish uh, runs. My children, my adult children, bought me this watch. So when I go running, I click a button to say start and I click a button to end and then other people can see how I'm running and we can discuss how it's doing. And praying together is so important. Yes, you can pray on your own, but just find other people to pray with. It's so encouraging and we can learn from each other as we do it. So, that's 1 Peter chapter 4. Just a reminder to recap. You are unique. You have your unique contribution to make to to make to God's kingdom. Let's together find out what our unique contribution is and use our gifts to build his kingdom. And let's choose not to waste time. Let's choose to be in the game, not in the sin bin. And let's not panic, but let's pray. Let's build up our prayer life.